Mai mai hari mai, ki hōtaka. Welcome to the panel on RNZ National. Nice to be here. Today, dairies NZY closed their doors in the wake of Janek Patel's fatal stabbing. We discussed that, including with Mukesh, who after 19 years, he's off. Back home, had enough. And just announced, in fact just now, a new retail crime package announced, uh, including a new fog Canon subsidy scheme that's been set up. The government is to provide four grand for all small shops and dairies who want a fog cannon installed. Also today, should we find parents of truant children in a bid to tackle New Zealand's school uh, attendance rates? Your thoughts welcome on that. Do you think it'll help? Text me, 2101. And look, I received a photo from a listener from the UK. They have high-quality New Zealand lamb for a lot cheaper than we get here. Uh, This person asks, what's going on? We try and find out. And that overhead buzz of the Auckland Eagle helicopter, have you heard it? There's a public health aspect to that, apparently. Uh, Drives me crazy, I tell you. And fame costs. And right here is where you start paying in sweat. The news that Iron Cara's died shocked many who of an age didn't dance around the bedroom in leotards. Your memory's welcome on that too. 2101 is the number to text. You can email the panel at rnz.co.nz. With me this afternoon, Anna Dean, brand strategist. Kia ora, Anna. Kia ora, Wallace. And lecturer at MIT, Steve McCabe. Steve, welcome. Tēnā koe, Wallace. Very good. Anna Dean, Steve McCabe joining me this afternoon. Uh, I thought this was quite interesting. Christmas is around the corner and summer clothes are flying off the rack for that long-awaited holiday season. But for the plus size amongst us, it's a challenge, all highlighted in a piece in the stuff. And as one made-toward-a-fashion retailer said, many retailers are stuck on normalised standards of beauty. To discuss, we have AUT fashion lecturer, Lisa McEwen. Kia ora, Lisa. Kia ora, Wallace. I thank you for having me. Yeah, pleasure. And it's something that uh, we hear a bit of. We talked about this about a couple of months ago. Um, and we were wondering, you know, why is the range of clothing so seemingly narrow? Or in fact, is it? Well, no, you're right. It is It is. It is narrow, um, and there's one main reason from that. I mean, I came to um, university um, as a lecturer after years of, of spent in the industry, and what I know from my experience is that you can't take a given pattern, for example, and then just grade it up bigger and that it's going to fit any, anyone of a larger size. It's, it's much more complex than that because as we, um, as we put weight on, we deposit that in different parts of our body depending on who we are and what our, our genes are. So a size 8 might be slightly taller or shorter, but pr- pretty much a size 8 will fit a size 8 garment. But a size 20 could have um, you know, extra weight around the middle. I know I put on weight around my waist, whereas my mother used to put it on her hips and kept her tiny waist. So you can't just grade a pattern up. And it just becomes, it becomes logistically a lot harder for um, companies to decide whether they're going to go into that space. Oh, so it's a bit more nuanced than we perhaps thought. Um, so exactly. how, <laughs> are there commercial pressures? I mean, the yeah, point absolutely. being made is surely there's demand. Well, yeah, that's true. There is demand. Um, and, um, and 
there are, but there are commercial pressures, and I guess it comes down to the fact. I mean, you know, it would be ideal if we had um, all clothing uh, that was really inclusive. But the, the bottom line is that we come down to the fact that clothing businesses are run by individual people, and they're going to make the sort of clothes that they want to make. Um, yes, if the financial um, demand is there and that's the reason they're in the business, then then they'll meet that demand. But often people are in the business because they like clothes and they like a certain aesthetic. So for example, a streetwear brand wanting yeah. to do streetwear isn't going to necessarily turn around and do wedding dresses because there's a demand. That's not what they're into. And for the plus size thing, I think there absolutely is a demand. It just depends whether or not you know, and, and people don't realise that the fashion industry is actually a really, really complex industry. It's really hard to make money in. So it's not like companies are going to take a risk on something that may not be their bread and butter, and they typically want to stick to what they know that they do well. Okay, so, hmm, Anna Dean, your take on this, and I do know, Anna, that it is a hard business uh, to, to get cash from, to make money from. Absolutely. I mean, the overheads are, are, are so low. And um, like Lisa says, you know, kind of narrowing on, on your niche really does actually make a difference. I mean, one of the great aspects today is that there's so much um, clothing available on social media platforms like Instagram and and people can shop directly for plus sizes that way. I mean, oh, I yes. think Lizzo, yeah, Lizzo has just been so incredible. Um, as a plus size woman showing what can be worn and I mean I know there's so many spin-offs of outfits and things that um, are extending the, the the expectation and the range which is so exciting one of the things I find with um, plus size friends that I have is especially since the pandemic they really have started to make their own clothes um, oh. and there's a huge yeah there's a huge movement towards that and huge online circles of of people who are sharing patterns and being inspired by each other and um yeah so it's great to see that although the the range may not be available by some of these beleaguered New Zealand fashion brands Lisa yeah, absolutely. Um, that idea of um, people making their own clothes is definitely coming back to the fore. Same with upcycling clothes. So that's definitely there. And the other thing I would say is that there are some labels who, um, I, for example, had a student that left AUT a few years ago, started up his business. Now it was grungy and, and very gothic, and, and he probably had a certain customer in mind. And then he realised that the people who could afford New Zealand-made clothes, which are going to be a bit more expensive because the, the labour costs of getting them made are more expensive, um, he realised that, that it was women in their 40s and 50s, and they were often plus-sized. So he made his clothes gender-inclusive, age-inclusive, and size-inclusive. So I think, you know, there are people who are onto it, who are quite sharp about that sort of thing. They will make that sort of thing available. But yeah, um, New Zealand used to have more sewing sewing machines per head of population than any other country in the world. So, um, yep, that's our DIY. That's incredible. Yeah, that's back in the 60s. So, um, yeah, and there's definitely a resurgence of crafting and, and making. I mean, I would guess for the you know, for the larger manufacturers, it, it, it's very simple economics. I'm guessing that, that very broadly speaking, um, distribu- distribution of sizes follows something like a bell curve, and you have most people are going to be, let's say, average or normal or whatever we're looking for. And the further away you get from that, the less demand there is going to be. And so, sheer economics says it's not worth it to bother tooling up to make the the the, the less well selling um, styles. And we've always been told the market's Absolutely. always right, so obviously this is the right way to think. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's that, that's that's true. That there is that bell curve, um, and I guess people are arguing that maybe that bell curve is shifting because we are, and some demographics are definitely getting larger. And so, um, you know, maybe that we need to look at that bell curve. But but as I said too, because the weight distribution falls differently on you, you could risk investing into the, those larger sizes, and then they stay on the rack because it doesn't fit every large person. So it's a higher risk. Very good to have you on. Um, excuse me, I just uh, choked for a bit there. Hey, Lisa, kia ora. Um, really interesting stuff. I appreciate your time. That's AUT Thanks. fashion lecturer uh, Lisa McEwen on that. I can re- um, actually, can I do a um, mention of Anna, Nikki Bazant, and she does Instagram posts. Nikki is a, a journalist. She's a nutrition writer, but she, she also follows fashion quite a bit. And, and she, one of her interests or hobbies, I guess, is making clothes for herself on those, you know, those vintage patterns you used to get in the paper, um, in the paper wrap. Mm, awesome. Can you, re- can you recall Lovely. those? Yeah, absolutely. You can still get those in op shops. Oh, yeah. can you? Yes, and at Spotlight, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very, very cool. Can you recall those two one zero one? You know, those patterns that you used to buy, and do you still make your own clothes in that fashion? Uh, Monday afternoon, the panel time for I've been thinking. Anna Dean, what's your IBT today? Well, I've I've been thinking. I uh, last week had the pleasure of meeting um, a tech entrepreneur of the year from Estonia, a fascinating young man who um, I didn't actually realise that Estonia was so um, tech leading around the world um, after they left the Soviet Union. And it's been fascinating to to talk to him. Um, he's here for an e-bike infrastructure launch that was happening on K Road in Auckland. And we had this great chat about how much bitching and moaning goes on when the necessary infrastructure changes happen around changing up our streets to make them more healthy and accessible for a range of people. That's adding more public transport, that's bike lanes, that's pedestrian areas. And the thing that really stuck in my mind, he said people make such a song and dance about it. He's working in 32 cities around the world, including places like Washington, which have been fully committed to the car for, for you know, for decades and decades. And all of that taxpayer investment's gone into car and roading infrastructure. So he, but he just said, he was like, yes, the naysayers come out of the woodwork but the change happens, it takes a couple of years, and no one ever wants to go back to the way that things were before. And I've just been clocking a bit of a, um, you know, furore that's happening down in Christchurch at the moment with some property developers up in arms about losing parking spaces. And it really, um, the evidence from overseas shows time and time again, if you actually get rid of those car parking spots, um, people actually flock into those retail areas instead of leaving them alone. I mean, I talk to so many Aucklanders who make the choice not to go into the city because they're worried about finding a park. If you actually provide bike lanes and proper functioning um you know, options for people, micro mobility hubs and things like that, the change really does happen. So I was quite inspired right. and, um, yeah, mm. Estonia has a lot to who teach knew? us. Um, Estonia. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, actually, I'd love to go to Estonia. Uh, you'd, you'd have been here, Steve, you? sounds awesome. I, I was in Tallinn about three years ago. It was a fantastic city to, walk, you? to walk around. I walked around the city because you, you can. You've been to Estonia. Absolutely. It's a ferry ride from Finland. It's about sounds two hours on the... So- it's about two hours mm. on the ferry from Helsinki, yeah. seriously. Very cool. All right, I've been thinking Steve McCabe. 
Well, I've been thinking about tertiary education funding, or lately the lack of it. And in particular, I, I was I heard recently that that my employer, MIT, um, has been having to turn away applicants for, uh, in particular, trades academy courses. These are the the courses uh, where secondary school students can take tertiary level trades classes, uh, and it prepares them for. Um, a career. Yeah. It's, it serves South Auckland, which is an area where a lot of kids leave school without qualifications, and that's the kind of people that these courses serve. And they have had to turn away nearly half their applicants because the Tertiary Education Commission won't fund the places. So they have the uh, demand. The, the, demand, demand is, the demand is there. The demand's there. The capacity to teach is there, but the funding required to do so... And teach what? Well, we're talking about uh, uh, the trades, basically, like construction, mm. that type of thing, yeah? So these, 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 these are kids who want to learn. These are kids who are applying for these courses. And, and you know, we, you have to remember, Chris Hipkins, a few years ago, told us that tertiary education is an investment that repays the government many, many times over. I think that's a direct quote from Mr. Hipkins. And yet the government won't make this investment. They're treating education, tertiary education, like a necessary evil, not the public good that it is. And they need to fund it properly. I'm not just ranting about no lecturer salaries. Obviously, that's something that does need to be funded. This is this is actually provision of courses across the tertiary education sector in this country, swinging cuts, programs being cut, programs not being funded, uh, enrolments not being enabled, the government need to put funding so into education. So young people wanted to go into trades and the trades academy programs not the places um, and so they need to go somewhere else. Exactly, yeah. Turning We might come away. back to that. Yeah, very good. Steve McCabe and Anna Dean are with me. Uh, Moira from Whanganui says, I still occasionally use my paper patterns. I'm teaching the grandchildren to sew. The 10-year-old sewed her own reversible skirt. Goodness.